Talking Heads is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code TALKING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal. Pay for your ticket and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 off your first purchase. And welcome to episode two of Talking Heads on the Panoply Network. I'm Bram Weinstein, alongside Mark Stern. Some housekeeping to start with, you may have noticed, a music change. Why? Because the first music, Mark, that we had, I felt probably belonged in either a bad porn movie or a Thai <laughs> restaurant that doesn't give you enough chicken with your curry dish. Therefore, we felt the feel had to change immediately. It's not that I'm an extreme micromanager, but I just wanted to point out, we're not going to change the music every week, Unless we are actually crazy people. So you'll have to find out next week if we do that again. Well, just to set the record straight, you know my affinity for low-grade pornography. So that's yes. why I particularly enjoyed that music, Ben. Well, it's it's nothing against the person who <laughs> composed it, okay? It was lovely music. It, it was. just didn't feel right for me. You know, right. I felt like I was hitting someone over the head with a chair, <laughs> and there was some kind of soft jazz playing in the background. It just didn't feel right to me. So we made that one first change. You'll hear many changes. Um, we also are for sale. Um, off of this first pod, we got invited. I don't even know if I told you this, but we got invited down to Maryland, to Laurel Park, to the Maryland Million Race Day, um, oh, yeah. which is like the big race at that racetrack. And it's like basically it's a home game for me because I'm from that area. And so uh, we may do this. It's an October 17th. We may tape the show there if I can do it. I'm waiting to see how things work out with, with another project that I may have to be on the West Coast for. If I'm not, I'm going to come down and Mark will be able and I will be able to do this together. If you didn't know, I'm in my basement in Connecticut. <laughs> it's a lovely basement, but I'm in my basement and Mark is in um, Washington, D.C. But the point is this. Um, if you want to buy us to come tape our podcast at your venue, mm. we're really cheap. We will do it. Yeah. At virtually, virtually every location, there's probably a couple, you know, maybe in North Korea, we'd probably have to turn one of those down. But They've got we'd... beer. As long as they've got beer, <laughs> I think the, the two of us are willing to do this. So if you actually want to pony up and bring us somewhere and we'll tape our show there, we will do that. We will happily do that. And we're trying to make it down to Maryland. And if we're going to do that, you'll know that in upcoming episodes. And, and then come see us. We're hoping that you'll come out and see us. You can yell into my microphone. And we'll use that on the podcast. Um, this, by the, Yeah, go ahead. Well, but, By the way, do you remember the last time that you and I did a show together at a racetrack? No. The Preakness. This has got to be about oh, 15, 16 years ago. Back, oh, when, back when the Preakness was complete insanity. You know, the running of the urinals and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. periodically, as you're doing the show, you'd be like, all right, Stern, go out into the infield and then come back with a report. And I would come <laughs> back like a guy who had been in Vietnam. <laughs> like, see, I'd be like, oh my God, the humanity, the humanity. It was absolute insanity. But one of the most fun times I've ever had. Yeah, if you've never been to the, the infield of the Preakness, um, it's Village of the Dam. People show up, you know, yeah. literally at like 9 a.m. Yeah. The rules used to be, I think they still are, You can whatever you can carry in, you can bring with you. Yeah, they, my favorite part of it was, there. you know, it, it was in a neighborhood where the kids in the neighborhood would steal the shopping cart yes. from the grocery store across <laughs> the street, and they would wait for people to park, right? Right. And so they would, they would take five, ten bucks from you, and they would wheel up your keg of beer for you or your cases of beer, whatever. And then... When the event was over, they were waiting for people to come out, and they would wheel the extraordinarily inebriated people back to their cars. Yep. Yeah, it's a great so business. It, 
full service. <laughs> so that's the sort of time we're looking to have at Laurel when we go there next time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So pony up, boys. Here we come. Um, and it, like, that would suggest to you that at that point in our lives, that was our career crisis. And I'm here to tell you it's actually <laughs> now and not then. Um, what's really struck me is um, we're going to talk about Don Orsillo in a little bit, who happened to be a beloved announcer of the Boston Red Sox. Um, he called the year that they ended the curse. He has called subsequent championships since. He's been in the booth with a, who might be a cult figure in that region, Jerry Remy, for almost 15 years now. And he kind of unceremoniously got the boot from his job, not because he wasn't performing well or because he wanted to leave, but for reasons that we're not even really sure about. And the New England Sports Network was clandestine in the way they went about it and have put out odd statements for the reasoning behind it. We're going to get it on to that a little bit but the reason why this has touched me so much one because it's my profession is that I'm looking at this and I've looked at this through the lens of leaving ESPN about five months ago wondering do we matter do sportscasters matter anymore that the viewing habits have changed so dramatically since I was a kid that I'm not sure that we exist like in the lives of people the way that we used to you know, when I was on SportsCenter, I mean, it became a period of time where it started to feel like we were just part of the woodwork and not necessarily part of one of the most iconic television shows in American history. And I say that not to knock ESPN. I say that because that's the reality of the consumption of media that we're in now. Young people don't watch television anymore, and if they do... It's not for an hour at the prescribed time that you tell them to. They watch it on mobile devices, they're cutting the cords, and they're watching pieces of events. And that's it. So I'm in a career crisis because I don't know where my career is going from here in this field. No, it's, it's a different time. And, you know, I don't know whether we're there quite yet where where personalities don't matter because I still think they do. And I still think that, that people, when they, they're drawn to someone that they see on television, I think they react very strongly when that person is removed for whatever reason. And I know we're going to talk about, and I know certainly I, I've had this visceral reaction to Don Orsillo being taken away from my Red Sox broadcast to the point where, and I say this very loudly right now, I don't intend to re-up with Nesson or my baseball package next year because I don't want to see that product without him and Jerry Remy doing it next year. See, now, I think that's a, a downright lie. Okay, mm-hmm. see, I think in the end you're going to have to watch Red Sox games because you're an enormous fan and therefore you're going to be forced to watch them regardless of who's talking to you. Well, I f- well this is okay, and it's not a lie. It's just my stance right now, and of course as we get closer to next year, I, I, could, I could completely cave. It's your stance right now in September of a bad right, season. But what I do for the most part is is I, I follow the games on the internet. You know, I follow the games on GameCast. And they play the Orioles, and I live down in D.C., so they play the Orioles 150 times a year, and you get the Orioles broadcast for that. So I would, st- And there's going to be national games and ESPN games and all that kind of stuff. So I would still see them, but I would like to be the kind of consumer that says, look, if the only way I can make my mark on this debate 
is by refusing your service and by declining to to buy it, then if that's the only thing I can do, then that's what I would like to do. Yeah, good luck with that. Like, like, <laughs> like oh, oh, I bet you're going to be a Blue Jays fan now. I'm sure. Yeah. No, okay, not, that'll I'm, happen. I'm still a fan of the team, but I just don't want to see those broadcasts. But you're mad at them. I get. It. I'm, you're mad. At them. I'm you livid. Know, but it, you know, this is a larger question, though. Okay, so Stephen Colbert takes over for David Letterman, right? Right. And Letterman has had basically, you know, the Derek Jeter farewell tour for the last year, ever since it was really announced he was going to leave because he touched so many people because right. he entertained them for such a period of time. But he also entertained them at a time when he was one of the few choices available to you to watch. It's not to take away anything. David Letterman's a comedic genius. You know, it's not to take away from him. It's just that he performed at a different time. Colbert comes in. In this media age, where he's asking people to specifically watch him at a certain time and younger audiences, because most people my age now, I'm in my early 40s with kids, I don't stay up that late anymore. So we're talking about the younger audiences. And I have no doubt in my mind that Stephen Colbert is going to be an enormous success doing this show, but I don't think the numbers of people are going to watch him as regularly as the ones that did Letterman based on the way media is consumed now. So whenever he does end this run, 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it may be, I don't think we're going to look back on Stephen Colbert's career the way we look back on Letterman based on the fact that people won't watch him the way they watched Letterman. And I think the same thing is happening in sports. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely that. I, mean, I think it's happening all across every you know, facet of, I'm going to say, entertainment. But, I mean, in the news world, the entertainment world, sports, I, I think people have grown accustomed to people coming and going. And as you said, people are now watching things on their own terms. This is the age of the consumer. You don't want to watch a show on Monday night at 8 o'clock? Guess what? You can watch it Tuesday at 3 a.m. if you want. You can yeah. you can get anything the way you want it, where you want it, when you want it. And, and I think to a certain extent as that relates to, uh, for lack of a better term, announcers, whether it's a play-by-play guy or whether it's a guy at Sports Center, whether it's a guy doing a late-night show, I, th- I think that there's a certain amount of collateral damage that, it, that, that comes with that. You know, it's amazing. When I was growing up, the, I wanted to be this one guy, Glenn Brenner. He oh, was a local sportscaster in Washington for the CBS affiliate, and he was kind of SportsCenter-y before SportsCenter really took off, but on a yeah. local level. He was really kitschy. He had kind of this incredible relationship with the viewers, but he was also on the local news, the 6 p.m. news, the 11 p.m. news. I always wanted to be him. So growing up, that was the person I wanted to be like, the funny sportscaster guy who was beloved by the community but covered all the teams that he loved. So here I am at 42, I left ESPN, and I had an opportunity to be that guy, to go back to Washington and join one of those stations in that exact capacity, and I had to turn it down Because it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, imagine that for a moment. That that position that I wanted to be, grew up dreaming to be, became irrelevant in a span of 20 years. Gone. Vanished. Doesn't matter anymore. And I turned it down because I knew nobody is going to watch those anymore. It doesn't matter what I do during those times. Nobody is going to watch it. You're right. I mean, the the position of local sportscaster, um, I don't want to say it's become irrelevant, but it's rapidly moving towards that island. And think about people that, you know, 25 you know years ago or whatever said, oh, I want to be a columnist for the Washington Post or, right. or something like that. And now it's like that, that, that gig isn't com- nearly what it used to be. And it's going to go away. You work with Tony Kornheiser. I grew up wanting to be Tony Kornheiser, too. You know what? He hasn't worked at the Washington Post in a decade. Yeah. 
And and the jobs that I mean, the era of the big sports columnists, and there's still gonna be big sports columnists, but when you had Wilbon and you you had Tony and and all these guys, that those days they are dead and gone. Yeah. Do we exist? I don't know. I'm sitting in my basement <laughs> because I'm not sure I exist. Ma, the meatloaf. We need it. NFL Week 2, Romo broke his collarbone, so the Cowboys are in huge trouble. The Seahawks are 0-2, so they are in trouble. So forget about the reality. Just play fantasy football. Seems like everybody is doing it because they are. Don't miss out. Now with FanDuel, you can play with up to $200 in bonus cash with our code TALKING. You've probably heard of FanDuel somewhere before. Here's what it's about. It's the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. $75 million a week. This football season, entry fees start at $1, so there's a league for everybody. Week 2 NFL games live in the lobby. You don't have to wait another day to start building your teams. There's over 1 million players who have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Now it's your turn. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the code TALKING and sign up now. There's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks. Get you earned as you play. It's a bonus of $200. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code TALKING today, so don't get left out. Don't forget to use the code TALKING. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. And welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Brad Weinstein with Mark Stern. So I was at a bar mitzvah over the weekend uh, of my friend Ira, who works at ESPN. And his son Daniel got bar mitzvah, and they are enormous Red Sox fans. And Ira revealed, he used to be a television writer. Now he writes for SportsCenter and a number of the other shows at ESPN. He's a huge, huge, huge Red Sox fan. And he revealed during a speech about his son at his bar mitzvah that he wrote a song about his son, but he's not going to sing it because he can't really sing. And, and he kind of put it to the wayside and, and it gets him up. He got him really emotional talking about it. So he actually composed it for the bar mitzvah and he had someone else sing it and he played it. And one of the lines in it is about baseballs every spring. And it's about his relationship with the Boston Red Sox. So I asked him about Don Orsillo because here's this enormous Red Sox, Red Sox fan who is he going to watch all of these games now based on the fact that they let go of someone who didn't deserve to lose his job. And his opinion was, like I believe many, that they're not happy with what they did because he liked him on the broadcast, but I'm not going to stop watching Red Sox games because of the guy in the booth. So I want you to reiterate for everyone, Mark, because you are an enormous Red Sox fan. You actually think you're going to stop watching the games based on him being fired from a job he shouldn't have been fired from? I, it is my stance right now that I will not watch the Nesson broadcast. When they're on locally for me here in the Washington area, whether they play the Nationals or the, the Orioles or in a national broadcast, I would still watch them. But I, I, I tr- I'm, my plan is to boycott Nesson in, in any way that I can as a protest to what I feel like is a completely unjustified letting go of a guy who did a tremendous job and in my opinion was one of the great play-by-play announcers in the country let alone a guy that I thought did it better than anybody's ever done it for the Red Sox so here is the quick story if you don't know the background of Don Orsillo he's been calling games for the team since 2001 he was part therefore part of the end of the curse clearly he didn't get a chance to call the first World Series win in almost 100 years for the franchise that was on national TV at that point but he was part of that entire season which was was an amazing, magical moment in sports history. He became what a number of people have written about called a familiar friend. 
He was fired for what the network, the New England Sports Network, Nesson, said was low ratings, whatever that actually means. You have to recall that here we are coming to the end of the season and Boston is having one where they were truly non-competitive throughout the course of this season. You know, I have a hard time believing, and I think everybody does, is why there was this visceral reaction to him being fired that he had anything to do with it. He had this kind of kitschy, homey, campy feel um, with Jerry Remy, who is his partner and might as well be a legend in the Boston area. He owns restaurants, and he just become this cult figure. He's the guy who's on scholarship in Boston for the rest of his life because he's just so beloved for the way he talks about the team and has gone through the year. He really is part of the team. Here's some uh, clippings that came out immediately. This happened. The news came out the end of, of August. Over the Monster is a blog for SB Nation, popular one. They wrote an open letter to John Henry, who's the owner of the team, and in part it said this, quote, we are sad, we are hurt, we are angry, we deserve an explanation. In breaking up the best broadcast team in baseball, you have done a disservice to every Red Sox fan. Jerry Remy did speak to reporters, or Sillo never did, but Jerry Remy did, who's his longtime partner, 15 years, said he loved him while trying to choke back tears to reporters, and Chad Finn, who wrote for Boston.com, says, quote, the genesis of the consensus and the disappointment is fundamental. You feel like you lost a friend. I, I, I'm curious here, you know, clearly there's there's other reasons besides low ratings here. Maybe it's personal, maybe it's contractual, maybe it's whatever. But in your mind, if this is the reaction to this, why in the world would the team be doing it? Yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't. I I knew I had my reaction. And when you read those clippings, it echoes what I what I had in my head. And uh, there was a, you know, I, I never signed petitions for anything, but I immediately went online and signed a petition. It was like 75,000 names on it. I mean, this is a guy, the Red Sox, it's, uh, there's a unique relationship that people have with that team. And, and the broadcasters, because it's every night, 162 games, you develop this unbelievable bond with these guys. And because they weren't all about the play-by-play, that they would do this kitschy stuff. And they would talk about, you know, what they ate, ate for lunch that day or, you know, they're just weird idiosyncrasies. And, and you became attached to them. So it, it doesn't surprise me that there's been this level of reaction. Michael Silverman has written extensively about this for the Boston Herald. Don Orsillo's days as the Red Sox announcer is going to come to an end here over the next seven to ten days. Um, Everything I've read from you and everyone else in that area seems that there's a consensus that the team made a mistake here. So why are they doing it? (laughs) Well, I I think if you're to ask Nesson, you get the proverbial, uh, we wanted to go in a different direction. But I, I think... Look, Don Russell had the bad misfortune of uh, having his contract expire the same year that Dave O'Brien did, too. And I think the team, uh, Nesson, believed that um, Dave O'Brien was going to get a job elsewhere, and they, they decided long-term they wanted Dave O'Brien. Now, you know, the whole thing about ratings being down is, is you know, ridiculous, because if Don Russell is to blame, then um, obviously there's a lot of, pressure riding on Dave O'Brien's shoulders this offseason to fix the Red Sox because I think everyone understands that there's Don Russell had nothing to do with the ratings and um, it, it was really odd the way it was handled and the way it was explained as well that's for sure. Why not just say that then? That was my inclination that this is just a contractual thing and they had a choice to make. Mm-hmm. Why not just say that and say this is the choice we made? Well un- unbelievably Nesson thought they could sit on this story till January. I think you guys understand that the worst place to keep a secret is the media. When it's a media-on-media story, yeah. uh, you got no shot of holding a story yep. uh, of this kind of import uh, for, for months at a time. There's just no way that was going to happen. 
so it leaked, and um, then Nesson scrambled, and then it took them a while to come up with a story, and the story that they had was, um, it was almost like, you know, they, they knew they were going to take heat, and they just, uh, I'm not going to say they didn't care, because they're very sensitive to public opinion, but ultimately they didn't care, and and they have every right to make a decision if they want to go in a different direction. Yeah. I personally think Dave O'Brien does a fantastic job. Listen to him on the radio, and we've all heard him on ESPN. I think he'll do a really good job. No one's, no one's disputing that or Nesson's right to go in a different direction. But I, I have more uh, problems with the way they handled it. Uh, clearly, the, the fans feel as you do with this. There's an affinity for Ursillo. And, and Mark and I, Mark's a huge Red Sox fan, we, we were talking about this, that Viewing habits have changed here now. They're not getting the same ratings anymore, probably largely not just because the team didn't perform very well, but people don't watch television in the same way. So I wonder if you think the new voice of the team, which will be Dave O'Brien, will get the same level of affinity from the fan base regardless of how he performs. Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I can't say. I mean, I think, it, look, like you said, you know more about the business than I do, the electronic side of it. And, um, you know, the viewers' habits, I think people tuned in to Nesson because they like to see Don and Jerry get silly uh, when, when the game kind of lagged and the tension lagged. That happens a lot. And, you know, whether Dave O'Brien can strike that same kind of rapport with Remy, I, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. But um, I, I don't know if it's going to really impact ratings one way or the other. I think, like you said, the, the viewers are, are changing. Demographics are changing. Um, I think you can safely say there's probably an older uh, viewer that watches strictly on TV, right? Yes. Versus on on their devices and whatnot. So, you know, maybe everyone's multitasking at the same time while they're watching it, and they don't really have the sound on. What has Orsillo said? Everything I've read so far is nothing. He said nothing about all of this. Why hasn't he said anything? And if he has said something, correct me there, what has he said about it? Uh, He said nothing on the record, except... You know, I got nothing or no comment. Um, the only statement you've seen from him so far, unless he said something over the weekend, I don't think that happened. Um, he has a link to a YouTube video of uh, a really nice Dave Matthews song, uh, Out of My Hands. If you look closely at the lyrics, you get an idea of how he's uh, feeling. Sources can reliably say that um, from sources I've spoken to, who are privy to what's going on behind the scenes, is uh, Don's really he's devastated. This is, but he's being a, a good soldier right now, and somehow this I find really surreal is that he's just going along and pretending like nothing has happened on every broadcast. Yeah. So, and these jobs are few and far between. I'm sure he may get another one, but whether he'll have the same affinity himself for the team is in question. So I, I guess that's something only he can really answer. Um, next spring, when spring training starts again, and, and Dave O'Brien is in the booth. Do you think people are still going to care that Don Orsillo is not the voice of the Red Sox anymore? I think a lot less than they do now. I think there'll be some curiosity factor. I think there'll still be plenty of fans. This happened with Sean McDonough as well, when Don took over for Sean McDonough. And um, there's a lot of hard feelings. Sean left kind of angry as well. And, um, you know, I think that these stories probably ultimately affect the media more than the average fan. They'll adapt. They'll get, they'll get used to it. Um, you know, there's probably some people who can't stand Stephen Colbert and will always be David Letterman fans. And um, Obviously, different circumstances. But you, you, hopefully, you get what I mean. 
It just, I don't, I think the story's going to die down over the winter. Michael, thank you so much for your time. All right, you're welcome, guys. You can read Michael Silverman's work at the Boston Herald. I want to tell you guys about the new way to find amazing deals on NFL college football and concert tickets. It's called the Seat Geek app. And when you use our code TALKING, you'll get $20 off your first ticket purchase. The Seat Geek app takes less than a minute to download. It's free on iPhone and Android smartphones. It has a ton of things. It aggregates from the big ticket sites. So just like when you search for flights or hotels online, SeatGeek pulls in the ticket options from hundreds of sellers to create one-stop shopping for sports and concert tickets. So when you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available for that game all on one page. No need to go anywhere else. They have a great feature called Deal Score. Ranks every ticket on the market from a 1 to 100 value score. Plots the best deals on a color-coded interactive map of the venue so you can easily identify the best ticket values in the building at a glance. And finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, safe. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card, and once you find a ticket you want to buy, complete the purchase with two quick taps. There's no faster way to buy tickets. To redeem your promo code and save 20 bucks on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter the promo code TALKING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first purchase. If you want to go see the NFL, college football, or the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING to save 20 bucks. We are also happy to be part of the Panoply Network, and if you're a football fan, Sports Illustrated's got you covered with four weekly podcasts. The Monday Morning Quarterback, MMQB, of course, that's Peter King, the sage and legend of football coverage in this country. Audible's NFL podcast, the SI College and their fantasy football shows. Check them all out on iTunes or at si.com backslash Podcasts, And I'm Bram Weinstein with Mark Stern. Final moments here on this week's edition, number two of Talking Heads. Um, you know who Harvey Updike is because you and I love crazy. Right? <laughs> yes. Nobody likes crazy more than us. Right. Um, for the sake of our listeners, here's a quick re uh, just a, a rehash of who Harvey Updike is. If you don't remember the name and you probably this will ring a bell if you don't remember um, this is a man who's in his 60s who had a long career as a Texas State trooper but moved to Alabama in 2008. He's an enormous Alabama Crimson Tide fan, as exemplified by the fact that he named his kids Bear after Bear Bryant, the legendary coach of Alabama football, and Crimson, which is, of course, one of the colors of the school. Well, in 2010, Alabama loses to Auburn. Um, it was in a a cr- incredible second half comeback that was orchestrated by the eventual Heisman winner Cam Newton but you'll recall that year that game leading into it there was a lot of discussion over whether Cam Newton had been paid by Auburn to come play there they never proved that but there was a huge smoking gun out there that money was being thrown his way anyway regardless Alabama was playing the song take the money and run over the loudspeakers <laughs> that day and then he ended up beating them right Harvey Updike got extraordinarily upset about all of this took it extremely personally and i don't know i wouldn't know how to poison a tree if i tried you know but he apparently did know how to poison a tree and he went down to this famous area in auburn called tumor's corner and he took this chemical that killed one of their famous 100 plus year oak trees 
which is like the symbol of victory. Everyone congregates in this area at Auburn when they have major victories and they throw toilet paper all over these trees and it's all for celebration. Well, he poisoned the tree and the tree died. And then he called Paul Feinbaum, who has become this synonymous voice of SEC football now for ESPN, but for a long time based out of Birmingham, Alabama. And he called him and admitted to doing it now after the fact he said he didn't and he made it up and he took responsibility like a terrorist group would for a bombing that they didn't take that they didn't take part in but he did at least a court figured that he did do this and he went to jail for 76 days so we love crazy because there's nobody more crazy than this guy. Well, over the weekend, um, Ole Miss beat Alabama in Alabama for the first time since 1988. They recorded consecutive wins against the Tide for the first time. I think it was forever. Forever. I'm not even sure. Forever. It was forever, yes. right? Yes, yeah, it was they forever. They beat last year in Oxford. This was the forever. Yeah. First time this has ever happened, they won two times in a row. The Oxford Police Department, which I mean, is so out of line to troll somebody, <laughs> but they did... <laughs> wrote on their Twitter site, if you spot this person with a picture of him <laughs> with a houndstooth hat of an elephant on his head, you know, give us a call. That's so great. And what's even better is that I Updike took the bait and replied <laughs> back on Twitter. Yes. How dare you, idiot? I'm not coming. All in caps, multiple exclamation points. And an even better... Then the Oxford police respond back to that, saying, well, there you have it, but still keep an eye, keep an eye out for this guy. Well, there you have it. I think that's totally genius part on, yeah. on the part of the police. Really? Yeah. I mean, really? I do love it, that. Like, who is, who's the intern in the police department <laughs> who got smart? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, really, can a police department really joke around? I mean, can they really, really do that? Uh, they probably shouldn't, but I like it. And did you see the final tweet that they sent out? Uh, this is from the Oxford Police Department. If this is the first time seeing our Twitter account, we like to keep things personable and informal on here, along with police-related info. So we're, we know we know everybody around the country doesn't like the cops this year, but we're the friendly. Cops. Right, we're the cops that are going to bust your chops. That's what we do. Yeah, hey, we're just going to bust your chops, all right? Hey, you were going forty-five and a forty. All right, get out of here, kids. All right, get out of here, you knucklehead. Slow down. <laughs> Can you imagine being the guy who for the rest of his life is the guy who poisoned a tree and therefore you are literally the craziest person on earth? Yeah, well, I I think he revels in it. Like you said, he called Maybe. it in like he was part of ISIS. He's like, I did it. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> and and I guarantee you there's bars down in his hometown where he never has to pay for a drink. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, he's no. probably revered by a lot of people. That's right, man. You did You did a good one, Harvey. Good yeah. job. Good job, Harvey. You did a solid for Alabama. Roll time. Can you imagine? Who are his friends? Well, Would you be friends with somebody if they admitted to doing that? I, I I don't think I could talk to that person ever again. I'd be like, what? What? I mean, I was like, I knew you were off like when I met you. But come on, man. What? What's wrong with you? Well, of course you wouldn't be friends with them. I wouldn't, but we're not completely insane. Uh, that said, I would love to interview him. I'd love to talk <laughs> yeah. to this guy. Yeah. You know. And I love that he's just so offended. He's like, how dare you? How dare you, you drag me into this? the other school's tree? Like, who knows what you're going to do there? And by the way, I could have this wrong, but I think it wasn't just a tree. I think he killed multiple hundred-year-old trees. Yeah, it was a couple of them. It was really... Yeah. We, I, we, I was on SportsCenter the day. We showed it live when they were cutting it down. 
Yeah. And people were a, crying. That was a big and deal. We had arborists on. You know, every once in a while, SportsCenter gets way out of its realm. Like, like Deflategate made us talk to scientists about PSI, yeah. and none of us knew what the F right. we were talking about the whole time. Right. This was another one of those where we have, like, arborists on, and they're explaining what happened and what's going to have to happen to try to plant another tree there. And it, they might as well have been speaking Chinese to me that day. I have no idea. Like, how, Oh, the ground is soaked with some kind of chemical, and now it, it was the most confusing day of my life. That's from the land of crazy pants. Nobody with the uh, Miami football program in Florida, uh, I've never heard of anyone going that way. They're more like a party, and they're kind of like a, it's hard to describe. They're like, they're kind of like the Cowboys in a way. Like, there's there's nothing really dangerous about them, and, and, and people are into them, but they're more kind of like flash and glitz, and it's just it just sucks when they're not great. Right. And um, Mike Pialucci, who writes for uh, Vice, I hope I pronounced his name correct, P-I-E-L-L-U-C-C-I, wrote uh, an article for Vice Sports where he said, basically, someone needs to make them great again. And it's true. Al Golden's been there a few years. He has a winning record, but he has yet to beat one single team that ended up the season ranked in the top 25. And he gets plenty of chances to do that, being in a major power conference every year. So he's, he doesn't have a marquee win. Doesn't have won a bowl game, nothing. And this is the, the Miami Hurricanes that are, you know, written about in numerous rap songs, you know, that are basically part of pop culture and they are largely irrelevant right now. So I have the answer for this guy. I, I can tell you right now what I think the answer is. Chip Kelly. Oh. Chip Kelly. I mean, I, I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the Philadelphia sports radio today because it is Monday the day after they scored 10 points against the Cowboys, and DeMarco Murray has as many has less rushing yards than they have points yeah. this season. Okay, So I haven't had an opportunity, but I'm sure those lovelies up there are treating Chip <laughs> Kelly really kindly today. <laughs> that if this completely goes sideways, and the fact that he kind of sociopathically got rid of some of his best players, well, and then some of them were calling him a racist, and now the team can't move the ball or score, if this goes really ugly... That is the place he needs to go. That is the because ex- they will be so ridiculously exciting if he was the head coach down there. He would be able to recruit that Florida talent that would love to play for a guy where they're going to have eight hundred yards a game. Right, he would be ridiculously perfect for them and put them on the map immediately again. Well, there's a good chance if uh, if they lose again this weekend and lose the Redskins the following week. There's a good chance he might be available sooner rather than later. That would be a lot of fun to see him down there. He'd have to get a little bit more of an edge to him because I my memories of of the great Miami teams, it wasn't just they were enormously talented, but there was just this, you know, sort of like we're not really going to play by the rules that everyone else is. We're going to be a little bit more thuggish. We're going to be a little bit more brutes, you know. We're maybe yeah. maybe break some rules that we probably shouldn't. Yeah. But that's who we are. We're Miami. Yeah. Yeah, we win the football game. We have a party on a yacht with a guy who gives us money and uh, other things we shouldn't be having. Right, right. Like, I can't see Chip Kelly standing for that. And I also like the idea of, like, you know, Drake doing a rap about Chip Kelly just doesn't (laughs) seem to fit, you know? No, not yet. He just doesn't. But the out, but. What he would do on the field with them seems to fit exactly with the swagger of we're going to score 800 points. You're not going to be able to stop us. And it's going to be hilarious when we just sit there and dance in our orange jerseys you know, <laughs> that we're back. Yeah, I, but you're right. When you talk about uh, uh, an organization, a university that was the, at the top of everything and now 
they win a game or two, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're completely irrelevant. Yeah, they're one of those teams that, like, you know, like they should be good. I don't be just just for the sake of you know they're polarizing. You either like them or you hate them. You know, they're, they're polarizing, and therefore they should always be like. I feel that way about the Raiders. They really should just be good because because it it stinks that they stink. Yeah, like like you either love or hate them. So it's great when they're good so that it makes you mad or really happy all at the same time. The fact that Miami is like largely irrelevant and they're in close games with East Carolina is so annoying. Yeah, it's like like the worst thing on earth. It's annoying. Get good and it's good for everybody. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, so here's the second week in a row that uh, for some reason I can't shut up when I'm sitting in my basement. I I said to Mark, I, I promise you this will not be more than 30 minutes this week. And of course, we blew that. So if it ends up at 30 minutes, it means that Mark edited this down. So I promise next week when I do this from my basement again, I will shut up more and we will just get out of here in a more timely experience. But thank you again for listening to Talking Heads. Please share. Please subscribe. Thanks to the Panoply Network. Thanks to Mark in D.C. I'm Bram Weinstein. We'll talk to you next week.